Blog Talk Radio. sports and having fun doing. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And of course, as always, you'll get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion number to call 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at com slash pgan. That's com slash pgan. You can send messages to the show on Twitter at GoForItGant. And while you're there at GoForItGant, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T, you can give me a follow at GoForItGant. Great show lined up for you today. Expect it to be joined by Auburn punter, former Auburn punter, Stephen Clark, as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft. He is the number one rated punter, according to ESPN.com, in this draft. So we're going to be joined by him. Also, we're expected to be joined by Ohio State safety C.J. Barnett. And uh, C.J., again, preparing for the upcoming NFL draft. And we're going to talk to C.J. about his preparation for the upcoming NFL draft. And also, we're going to talk, and we're going to put it to bed, the NCAA tournament. And it was a great run. It was a great ride. Ultimately, the UConn Huskies and Shabazz Napier, Kevin Ollie, Boatwright, those boys were able to get it done and beat Kentucky in the championship game. Great game, great end to a tournament, great tournament, great end to a, an unexpected tournament. I mean, it was just, just some of the, the, the various things that happened, some of the various things that took place. It was shocking. It was surprising. It was absolutely amazing. I mean, some of the, some of the things that happened, I mean, you got Mercer beating Duke, and it's just even Kentucky and UConn being in the championship game. And, you know, so uh, Kentucky and eighth seed, UConn a seventh seed. So just, just the, the improbability and, and just the unexpected is what we saw during the NCAA tournament in a great run. But we're going to talk and recap the tournament, talk about the championship game with St. Peter's assistant basketball coach Marlon Guild. So St. Peter's College assistant basketball coach Marlon Guild will be joining us to, to talk about what happened in the NCAA tournament. What was that one shining moment? That one shining moment you knew. And you reach for this guy. I mean, what a great song, by the way. But anyway, I want to start the NBA. Um, yesterday, I mean, the final week of the season coming up, and, you know, we, we talked throughout the course of the season about, in the Eastern Conference more specifically, Indiana, two teams, Indiana and Miami, Indiana and Miami. And throughout the course of this season and through most of this season, the Indiana Pacers were on top of the Eastern Conference. And they had that feel, and, and, and a lot of people were talking, Indiana, Indiana finally might have what it takes, especially if they can get that home court advantage, may have what it takes to, to dethrone the Miami Heat and, and to ultimately win the an NBA title. They had what it took and had what it takes at this point. A lot of people thought that that was the case. A lot of people. My, I mean, myself included, had you know gave Indiana a great shot. But now this Pacers team is, is limping towards the finish. They are limping 
towards the finish here. I mean, got off to a tremendous start, had the best record in the league at one point, and, and now they're just limping right now, limping and limping to a finish. I mean, Roy Hibbert has been awful. He's been awful. I mean, yesterday, only five points and just one rebound. I mean, just had three rebounds over the past three games, and that's in 80 minutes. So Roy Hibbert has been not the all-star center that we thought he was. He's been a stiff. He's been an absolute stiff in the latter part of this season, an absolute stiff. And I look at this team, and they're not the same. They're struggling on offense. They're not putting the ball in the basket. Guys are calling each other selfish. Self, Roy Hibbert, bunch of selfish dudes on this team. Um, you know, just a lot of talk when it comes to this Pacer team. And, and you look at this team, um, you thought throughout the course of this season, and at one point, well, I would say throughout the course of this season, you thought Indiana would be the team that could dethrone the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference. You thought that. And, and then the whole talk was, okay, at one point Eastern Conference, well, you had only two teams pretty much over 500. And at one point we were talking, okay, this is going to come down to the Pacers and Heat, and everybody in, in, in Eastern Conference is just a sideshow. Derrick Rose goes down. The Knicks are struggling. Brooklyn was struggling at one point in time in this season. I mean, you know, Toronto, they came out of nowhere, but they were struggling at one point in the season. They sent Rudy Gay to the Kings, and then they just, just turn on, turn it on and become a whole different team, become a much better basketball team. The Bulls, even without Derrick Rose, have become a better basketball team. The Wizards are better. But, I mean, as a whole, as a whole, you look at the situation now, and what we thought was going to come down to Miami and Indiana, now – you 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 make you can make the argument at this point as it's presently constructed. Miami number one seed. If they were going to the second round, they would play the winner of Brooklyn, Toronto. Let's at this point in time that could change. But let's just say now, I'm, I'm looking at both of these teams now. You know, I'm not just looking at Indiana not getting by and getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm, I'm even talk, talking about the possibilities of Miami not getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. And I say that because I look at who Miami possibly could play in the second round. Let's say they play the Brooklyn Nets in the second round. A team in Brooklyn Nets had Miami's number, swept them in the season series, beat them this week, as a matter of fact. So you look at this Brooklyn team, you look at the Miami Heat, if those two teams were to collide in, in, in the second round of the NBA playoffs, this could be a very interesting situation. So not only, and I don't think it's going to happen, I believe the Miami Heat would ultimately beat the Nets in the playoffs. And, you know, while I look at the regular season, I don't take much stock into it. I, I take some stock, but not a lot. Not a lot. But I look at I look at this team, the Miami Heat and the Indiana Pacers for that matter, both teams limping a little bit to the finish. And I know Dwayne Wade's been out nine games for the Miami Heat the last nine games. So you're, you're obviously going to have that piece back with you come playoff time. You're going to have that piece back. But, again, 
That second-round matchup, and let's say Indiana, they play Charlotte in the first round at this point. But if Indiana in that second round would play possibly the winner of Bulls-Wizards at this point in time, and Chicago Bulls are going to be a tough out for anybody. They're going to be a tough out for anybody. So that part should be very interesting. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean season. anything in the playoffs time. When the playoffs come, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. I was, trying to throw uh, you, you know I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that, you know, we know that you can marry women. We've seen you, you, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around, too. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on, now. Come on, now. That's early. That's not Roxy. That's called brother. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. (laughs) And we're back. And we're about to be joined by a guy now who's preparing for the upcoming NFL draft. NFL draft about 26 days away. 26 days away. It's, It's a long process. Obviously, the draft starts in May now. Used to be in April. Now it's in May. But we're going to bring in a guy now, the number one rated punter, according to ESPN.com, in this draft. Let's bring him in now, former Auburn punter, Stephen Clark. Stephen, how are you? How are you doing? Doing good. Doing well. Thanks for for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now, now Stephen, you did the NFL Combine a few months ago. There you have an opportunity to impress all 32 teams. You felt like you were impressed at the Combine? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a you know a great opportunity to be able to go out there. I mean, it's a I didn't even realize how big of a deal it was. I mean, going out there, you know, they take it seriously. I mean, from the time you get off the plane, I mean, you know, you're at the NFL Combine, and it was definitely cool to get out there and you know get build some relationships with the NFL coaches and also you know meet a lot of players. As a whole, tell us about the Combine experience. What 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 stuck out to you? What stood out? I mean, it's uh, it's quite the the ordeal. I mean, they they get you out there. I mean, it's you know about three or four solid days of just you know they poke and prod you with medical evaluations. You know, I mean, they're trying to make an investment on you, so they want to find out everything about you. So they grill you pretty hard in interviews. You know, get you up early for testing and psychological stuff, and it's a lot of things that I really didn't even consider as far as the process goes. I mean, you know. They want to know where you're from, what you're about, and, you know, what they're putting their money in. So, I mean, I don't blame them. Was it a fun process? Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's something that, you know, you can look back on. And, you know, for me to be able to say that, you know, I'm my kids one day, I went to the NFL Combine, that's something, you know, I'm definitely blessed to have that opportunity and be in the position I'm in. I have no doubt about that. I mean, it's a tremendous experience. And, as you said, no matter what happens, you can tell your kids, 
that you were at the NFL Combine. I, I look at you now, Stephen, 2013, you switched to the Aussie-style punting. You learned this mm-hmm. from the Saints, Saints punter, Thomas Morstead. It had to work. 26 of your 56 punts landed inside the 20. Tell us about this style. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that's kind of a new trend. Uh, I mean, it's it's a good tool to have as far as at the next level. I mean, a lot of coaches are, you know, starting to utilize that in their game planning and stuff. And it was something I always wanted to do. It was just something that, you know, it took me a while to really feel comfortable with putting it in the game situations. But, I mean, I also got to, you know, give a shout-out to my, our unit as a whole because, I mean, those guys cover their butts off getting down there to stop them from right. for running the end zone. So it helped me out a ton this year. Do you feel like you have a master? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm pretty – I have a pretty uh, high standard of myself. And, you know, I, I try to strive each day and try to get, get to there. I've, I don't ever feel like I'm going to reach it, but it's just sort of, right. you know, the whole if you strive for perfection, you might reach excellence sort of deal. So <laughs> we're, we're talking to former Auburn punter Stephen Clark. And, Stephen, i got to start calling you big game Stephen. SEC title <laughs> game, five punts inside the ten. National championship game, four punts inside the tent. Was it? What is it with you in these big games? God is good, man. Uh, it's, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff I can't take all the credit for, but it's definitely something that you know. Going out there, those are big games that you know every little thing counts. And you know, I only get you know if I have a busy day, I'm I'm out there seven or eight times. So right. I mean, I got to make each one count. So I just try to go out there and you know give our team the best opportunity they can to win. I want to ask you about that BCS title game for a moment now. I mean, that was a game you guys led early, and and you guys seemingly had the game under control. Ultimately, you would lose. How long did it take for you to get over that game? I mean, I kind of – I had mixed emotions about it because, I mean, as a football fan, like for a national championship game, like that was a classic. I mean, I know that's going to be going down in history. I mean, it was the last UCS game, but, I mean, overall, I mean, that was a heck of a football game. So, I mean, I got to give Florida State their credit because, I mean, they won it. But on the other hand, I mean, to come so close to something like that, I mean, I want it – like we won our freshman year, but, I mean, as a senior, I mean, that's something that you definitely – you know, only one team each year gets to go out like that. You know, it's unfortunate that it wasn't us, but, I mean, the fact that, you know, we had an incredible run at it. and So, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be hanging my head over, you know, that game at all. Yeah, you guys had an amazing run, an improbable run to the title game, and ultimately you'll come up short. But, I mean, the run that you guys had was absolutely amazing. Do you look back on that run and just say, wow, I, I can't believe the way some of those games ended? <laughs> no. I mean, like – I admit the like, you know, we had a lot of breaks that went our way, but coming into the season, like, I mean, you know, people were telling us that you know if we won six games, we would have had a good year, and like, they don't know any better, which I get it, but like, the season before was really not a testament to how good our team was. It was just sort of, I mean, in the SEC, I mean, you're you lose a couple close games and you have a bad year because I mean everybody's so good, but. Um, but, yeah, I mean, coming into this season, I mean, it's just a testament to the hard work, you know, that everybody put in. And, I mean, nobody wanted to repeat what we did the year before. So, Hello? Yes. Okay. We're talking to former Auburn punter Stephen Clark. I thought we lost you there for a moment. <laughs> Stephen, 
you are the number one rated punter according to ESPN.com. What does that mm. distinction mean to you, if anything? I mean, it's I mean, it's definitely an honor to be recognized such as being number one by ESPN and all. But I mean, at the end of the day, I've seen you know multiple unranked guys go out and have great careers, and multiple right. top-ranked guys go out and you know bust. So I mean, I'm just in trying to control what I can control, and that's myself, you know, and, and my habits and getting better each each time I can. And as far as that stuff goes, I mean, it's definitely something that, you know, I add it to the scrapbook, but it's definitely mm-hmm. not something that, you know, I surround my day around checking out who ranks me where. So, <laughs> I mean, is it, is it hard not to look at those magazines, those ESPN.com and all the other draft websites during this time? Is a, is a, do you try to stay away from it? Yeah, definitely. Um, I made that decision a couple years back. It's just, um, I mean, as a punter, it's like almost, I mean, if, if you're not getting noticed, it's a good thing. And, I mean, it's great when you are getting noticed, but it's I kind of feel like that, I mean, if you're going to look at the stuff whenever things are going well, you got to look at it when it's going bad, too. So I'd just rather not look at it at all. And you look at your career, three-time semifinalist for the Ray Guy, Ray Guy Award, and many thought you actually should have won the award last season. Do you feel like you should have won that award last year? Um, I mean, like I said, I, I mean, it's definitely an honor just to be recognized. And I went, I went, I, I was a finalist my sophomore year, and I got to go out yeah. there and meet all of those people. And I mean, you know, it's difficult with funding because I mean they got to make those decisions, you know, mid-season, and then it's all sure. statistical. Because I mean, it's just. It's just the, the numbers game, and it, I mean, if you happen to win, you happen to win. But I mean, it's definitely an honor to be even recognized for such an award. And I mean, like I said, I don't lose sleep at night over it for not getting it. So I mean, I was just thankful to you know be in, get an opportunity to run for it again. Right. Now, most punters, uh, Stephen, as you know, they don't get drafted, and many have to take the free agency route. At this point in time, have you heard anything in terms of if you will get drafted? I mean, you know, who knows? I've I've gotten, you know, a lot of opportunities to, you know, put myself out there in front of NFL coaches and I mean it's all I can do is be me and hopefully hopefully they like it enough to draft me and take a chance on me and I mean that's all I'm asking for. Um I mean, I don't care if it's free agency or draft or whatnot, all I want's a chance, you know, to go out there and prove that I that I have what it takes and I mean I'm gonna put in the work and I'm not worried about if I'm gonna make it or not. I just I'm just worried about getting the chances. So, uh, I mean, you know, that's not up to me. And so I just, you know, I have faith in somebody's going to find me. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you're you a Kansas City guy. Were you a Chiefs fan growing up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was uh, I was a Chiefs fan through uh, the stick and a lot of things. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was uh, really pumped about this last season they had. It was unfortunate, you know, we couldn't get the playoff, playoff first or the win in there. But against uh, the Colts and whatnot, but I mean, I definitely keep up with them. Now, about 26 days until the draft. What are you doing at this point? Is it a wait and see at this point? What is going on with Stephen Clark? The day in the life of Stephen Clark at this point in time. <laughs> right. Uh, now, me and uh, Cody Parkey, our kicker, uh, he's we're both here up in Auburn. Um, just we just been training together, working out. Like we go out and you know, kick about three, three or four times a week and, you know, just get out there and, you know, working on certain things. And uh, outside of that, um, but he, he graduated, but I'm working on my master's. So, I mean, I've got, okay. you know, plenty of class stuff to do too. So, 
You're a busy He's man. Busy. busy man. Where are you getting your master's in? Uh, biomechanics. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. So if the football thing don't work out, seems like you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of <laughs> kind of the plan. You know, do all things. <laughs> but the football thing will work out. It will work out for you, Steven. Steven, you are on Twitter. Where can fans connect with you on Twitter? Mm-hmm. Uh, are you talking about what's my my Twitter? Yeah, account? what's your Twitter handle? Oh, yeah, it's just at uh, stclark30. So fans, support this man as he journeys to the NFL on Twitter at stclark30. Support some of the great things going on with Stephen Clark. Stephen, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Let's do it again. All right, yes, Paul. Appreciate your time. Take care. All right, bye. Stephen Clark, punter, former punter for Auburn. And, and Stephen, at this point, number one rated punter in this draft. And so uh, that's going to bode well for him. The reality is he's probably going to get a shot in this league, whether it's through the free agency route or, or whether it's it's through uh, getting drafted by a team. But, uh, but at the end of the day, he's going to get a shot. Somebody's going to give him a shot. And as he says, all you can ask for is a chance and an opportunity. And, and I think he will get a chance and an opportunity. I look at Johnny Hecker of the St. Louis Rams. I mean, this was a guy – undrafted free agent in 2012 out of Oregon State. This was a guy came in, ultimately made the Rams team, ultimately last season was a Pro Bowl punter. So the, the point I'm trying to make is the punters, punters don't take the traditional route to the NFL. Punters don't take that traditional route to the NFL. They don't. So, I mean, at the end of the day, as a punter, it really doesn't matter if you get drafted or you don't get drafted. In some respect, it might be in your best interest not to get drafted. It's almost in your best interest not to get drafted. Because, again, you can kind of pick and choose where and what you want to do, where you want to go and what situation is best for you, what situation best suits what you want to do and, and, and what, best set, what situation best suits what you know, what what team you want to go to. I mean, it, it's all about situations. It's all about what situation is best for you. It's all about what 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 city works for you. You know what I mean? What coaching staff works for you. It, it's all those things. But at the end of the day, he can have the opportunity to pick and choose where he wants to go. We wish him nothing but the best of luck. Moving forward, if it doesn't work out, about to get his master's, biomechanics. So, he has a heck of a backup plan if it doesn't work out, but it's always good to see guys get an education. Great, great thing. But anyway, we're going but let's go back to the NBA and again, final week of the NBA season and you know, obviously we, we, we look at the Eastern Conference and there is some battling for the third, fourth seed. Brooklyn's probably gonna stay five. There's a battle for that sixth and seventh seed at this point in time. Could be Washington could be Charlotte, and at the at the bottom, there's a battle between Atlanta and New York for that final spot in the Eastern Conference playoffs. New York, Atlanta has a two-game lead, seemingly in complete control, two-game lead, three games left. Atlanta would essentially have to lose all the games, and New York would have to win out. That That's, that's the bottom line. Atlanta has to lose all three of their final games, 
and New York would have to win their final three games. And let's look at Atlanta's final three games to see if that's possible for them to lose out and possible for the New York Knicks to get that eighth spot. Miami, they go to Miami. No, excuse me, they have Miami at home. They probably lose that. They have Charlotte at home. Probably, probably that's a game. That's another game they could lose, but you got to see whether or not Charlotte will have anything to play for based on what happens with the Wizards. But Charlotte, you look at that game, that's going to be a game where, you know, that's a, a 50-50 game. It's a home game for them, but a game they could win. And they have Milwaukee to end the season. And let me just check Milwaukee for a second um, because let's see if Milwaukee – I think they. I think Milwaukee has pretty much sewn up the number one worst record in this league. Uh, they've sewn up the worst record in this league. Well, it would take – them will take the Sixers obviously losing out, but also will take Milwaukee winning two more games. Sixers up 17 and 62, Milwaukee's 15 and 64. And let me just check Milwaukee's schedule because this will be whether or not they have the Wizards tonight. They probably lose there, so Milwaukee is probably going to ha- going to clinch the worst record in the NBA tonight. Probably clinch that. Worst record in the NBA tonight. And at this point, with that being said, with that being said, they probably will go out and play hard to try to win the final game of the season because at that point, you've clinched the worst record in basketball. So at that point, only thing that matters now for you is nothing. It doesn't matter if you win or lose. You're just playing out the string, so it really doesn't matter if you win or lose. So they can go in and then try to win the game. But the, the 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 odds are stacked against the Miami Heat. I mean, the New York Knicks at this point. They're they're really stacked against them. I mean, I don't see. They have to win the final three, but they need the Atlanta to lose their final three. Some tough games. I mean, the Hawks. You figured the Hawks. You figured the Hawks would would have lost Sunday against Indiana, but they blew them out. And then last night against Brooklyn, Brooklyn set down Darren Williams. He didn't play in that game, and that you know he's a big one of your big guns. So he didn't play. Sean Livingston didn't play. So Brooklyn set down some big guys. They set down some big guys. So you look at the situation. Obviously now, that affects the Knicks. And, and you thought the Hawks were going to? I mean, I, I looked on the schedule and I thought, okay, the Hawks will lose to Indiana, and I thought the Hawks would also lose to uh, Brooklyn, but. They won. The, they won both of those games. Won both of those games, and I don't want to see the Hawks in the playoffs. I mean, I I, I reiterate it over and over again. I don't want to see the Atlanta Hawks in the playoffs. I want to see the New York Knicks in the playoffs. I believe the New York Knicks could actually give the Heat or Pacers a, a series. Can't beat them, but to give them a series. The Hawks is you play the Hawks is really not going to be anything to watch. That's going to be a series that I will not probably watch unless the Hawks surprise people. Unless the Hawks do something I don't think they're capable of doing, I probably won't watch a lick of that series. Probably won't watch one second of that series. Because it's just not, it's just nothing to watch. 
There's really nothing to watch. But I tell you this, at West, there's going to be plenty to watch. There's going to be plenty to watch out West. So, I mean, I, I, I'm looking forward to watching everything out West. I mean, I'm looking forward to that one. Can't wait. But I'm going to get back. I'm going to get to the Western Conference. That's what's going to happen there in the final few months, of the, the final week of the season, what's going to happen in terms of the standings and what's going to happen. I'm going to predict everything. It's going to be, I'm going to tell you whether Phoenix, Memphis, Memphis, or the Dallas Mavericks make, that play, make the playoffs and get the seventh and eighth seed. I'll tell you that. I'll let you know about all that in a few. But I'm going to go to the, the NCAA championship game, the end of March Madness, the one shining moment. And you saw a game. You saw, first of all, you saw a great tournament. Upsets galore, surprises galore. I mean, you saw a great NCAA tournament. There is no doubt about that. And I don't think many can argue. And I look at what I saw Monday night. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Shabazz Napier in the seventh seed of UConn Huskies. Shabazz Napier. No one saw this coming. No one. No one. And Napier and what he's done in this tournament and what Napier has did in that final game was absolutely amazing. Guards win in the NCAA tournament. The UConn backcourt, 36 of the team's 60 points. Napier and Boatwright. Guards win in the tournament. Guards win. And that's what we saw. Guard play. Big time guard play out of these guys. Big time guard play. That's what did it for UConn. That's what did it. And also what did it was their defense. I mean, I'm looking at this. You look at the Elite Eight, the Final Four, and the title game. Michigan State, Florida, and Kentucky. The Elite Eight, Michigan State averages 50, averages, excuse me, 75 points per game. In against UConn in the Elite Eight, they scored 54 points. That's minus 21. That's minus 21. Florida Gators average 70 points a game. Well, they scored 53 in the final four game against UConn. That's down 16.9 points per game. And then the title game is against Kentucky, a team that averages over 75 points per game, they're down minus 21. And, oh, by the way, all three of these teams shot, shoot below 40% against UConn in those games, below 40%. So that tells you, that tells you that at the end of the day, not only was it guard play, Napier, and Boatwright, but it was also defense that put UConn over the top. It was the defense that won the title for the UConn Huskies. I mean, you win, the men win, the women win. 
I mean, this UConn team, I mean, you, you got to start talking about UConn what? The, maybe the best college program, college basketball program what, in the last 20 years? Four titles? Four titles in the last 20 years? Four titles. I mean, you look at any other sports, only the Lakers have won more titles in that span. Well, since 99. We look at since 1999, UConn has won four titles. Only the Lakers have won more in that, to- in that time span. So that tells you the dominance. 4-0 in title games. The most title victories without a loss. I mean, so this team, this, 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 this program is really, really, really separating itself, and, and, and it's a high-power program. It's a big-time program, big-time program, big-time program, and it's amazing what this UConn team has done. It's amazing, this run. I mean, this team, a 33-point loss to Louisville in the regular season. That's the largest by any eventual national champion. First team to win a national championship without winning their regular season conference tournament since Arizona in 1997. And they made their free throws, and that's big. You defend. It's all about the fundamentals. It's all about attention to detail. You defend, which is big. You defend, which is big. And also, you make your free throws. That's fundamentals. That's coaching. That's coaching. That's coaching. That's what it's all about. That's coaching. Six school with four national titles. I mean, it, 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 it goes on and on. goes on and on. And, and talking about UConn and what they did. I mean, you look at Napier. He's the fourth member of 125 points, 25 assists, and 25 rebound clubs. In the tournament, Napier did it in 2014. Kemba Walker did it in 2011, ironically enough. And those guys are both titles. Both, both Those guys both won the title. And then you got Derrick Rose and Larry Bird who both did it 2008-1979. And those guys were runner-ups. It's amazing. Guards winning this tournament and UConn. Not only an old adage in, in, in sports, defense wins championships, and I, I guess it's never it, – that old adage is, seems to be always true. I mean, we, you can look at the National Football League, and, and then we talk about the offense explosion, offensive explosion in the National Football League. Yes, it's a lot of, a lot of points being scored in the National Football League, a lot of yards in the National Football League, but at the end of the day – the team that won this, won the Super Bowl, was the team that was the team that 
played the best defense. That was the team that won the Super Bowl. And UConn, they played defense in the Elite Eight, the Final Four, and the championship game. They played defense, holding their opponents to under 40% from the field. That's big time. That is big time. Absolute big time. And UConn now, Shabazz Napier, what a run. Kemba Walker-esque type run. A Kemba Walker-esque run by Shabazz Napier and the UConn Huskies. Kevin Ollie, what a job he's done. And, and I, I look at Kevin Ollie, and, and, and I see how he talks. You, you sense his confidence. It's just you get how confident he is just listening and hearing him talk. He's a confident guy. He's a confident guy. An absolute confident guy. And his team played with confidence. His team played with a, a, a swagger. His team are. I mean, they, and, and they had that, you know, never quit, never say die type attitude. And, and they had that attitude where, you know what, you know, we were the number seven seed. Yeah, we got blown up by Louisville in the, in the conference tournament. But guess what? It's tournament time. It's March Madness. We're a good team. We're a championship caliber team. Our coach believes in us. We have Shabazz Napier, one of the better point guards in the country. We can get it done. And that's what they did. That's exactly what they did. And oh, by the way, they hit free throws, they played defense, and they won. Hit free throws and played defense. And this backcourt, Boatwright and Napier, you look at the first half. You look at the first half. Boatwright and Napier outscored the Harrison Twins 23-10, to including 13 and nothing in the first 8 minutes and 40 seconds of the game. So their dominance was very evident in that game. Their dominance really showed through. And their dominance is the reason why UConn are the national champions. That's the reason why UConn is the national champions. Guard play. Guard play, guard play, guard play. And it never gets old. We all know defense wins championships in the NCAA tournament, but we also know guard play is big in the NCAA tournament. You look at Coach Calipari. He said this team was rattled. This team was scared. They were, they, they just weren't ready for that big stage. And you look at Michigan. Remember Michigan, the Fab Five back in 1992. And, and they got far. They got to the title game. But then, in that title game, they were blown out by Duke. They were blown out by Duke. So you... you 
you look at the comparison, and, and Kentucky wasn't blown out, obviously, but you look at it, that Fab Five back in 1992, when they got to the title game, they shrunk a little bit. And then you look at this quote-unquote Fab Five, and, you know, I'm just saying that just for comparison's sake, but you look at this Fab Five of Kentucky, and their coach said they were scared, they were rattled. So I guess that's all you need to know. We're going to bring in a guy now who, who, who's been with us throughout the course of this NCAA tournament, who knows a lot about the game of basketball, and who actually he predicted that, I believe he predicted Florida would win it all last time we spoke to him. He didn't even expect UConn to get to this point. Not many did, but we'll bring him in now. St. Peter's College assistant basketball coach, Marlon Guild. Marlon. Paul, how's it going, man? How's everything? Everything is well. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. It's a little a little different, man, to have a weekend with no college basketball, but you know, I guess we gotta get uh, used to baseball, huh? For sure, for sure. Baseball season <laughs> is upon us. You got the NBA playoffs coming up. Don't forget about that. Please don't forget about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's go to the game uh last Monday, Monday night. And I look at that game, and, and as I was watching the game, I kept waiting and kept waiting and kept waiting for Kentucky to get over that hump and ultimately take over the game and ultimately win the game. It never happened. Tell us why. Uh, well, well, there's a guy on Connecticut by the name of Sebastian Napier. That's why it didn't happen. Uh, you know, I think you saw the difference between a guy that, that's a veteran and, uh, you know, a freshman slash rookie team, you know, right. Napier was in that position three years ago as a freshman. And, uh, you know, everybody talks about Kimball Walker, you know, but Napier was, Napier started, if I'm not mistaken, in that national championship game as a freshman, you know. So you look at his body of work over the course of four years and you knew that he would have some kind of impact on the game. Uh, you know, he's a guy that I watched when it was getting close and Kentucky looked like they were going to get over that hump. You know, he made a big shot or, you know, made a key defensive stop. Um, and you know what? I thought he got rattled a little bit in that second half when Kentucky was making that run. But, you know, he's a guy that's been around for so long that, you know, you're not going to take him out of his game fully. You know, he might slip off track a little bit, you know, but for a 40-minute game, I want to say he played well for 37 out of those 40, and I think he might have played the whole 40. So, you know, to have him, you know, buckle down and get the rest of those guys, you know, where they needed to be uh, was huge. You know, and I think they hit big shots down the stretch. Um, I'll say this. I mean, nobody really – Talks about Niels Giffard, who, who had a, a big three-pointer. Yeah, definitely. Uh, when Kentucky w- was coming back, um, and, you know, Boatwright played played well. You know, he didn't have a lot of shot attempts, but he was efficient. You know, he hit big shots down the stretch. And you, you talked about Napier played 39 as a possible 40 minutes, so he darn near played the whole game for UConn on Monday night, and he was big time. 
Did you see, I mean, Calipari says that you, the, his Kentucky team was rattled. They were scared. Did you see that? Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it scared, you know, because they had been in that situation uh, the prior three games. You know, the Wichita State game was close. The Louisville game was close. The Michigan game was close. So I, I don't think it was a sense of being scared or rattled. You know, I thought UConn just made plays down the stretch. Uh, that, that mm-hmm. mattered, and uh, you know Kentucky didn't. That, that's really all, all it came down to. Uh, guys making plays down the stretch. I mean, you know Julius Randle didn't have a necessarily a, a good game. Uh, the Harrison twins, you know, I, I don't think neither one of them scored in double figures, if, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, you know, for, for as good as James Young was, you know, I think his shooting percentage wasn't that well. So, you know, you you factor in all those things. uh, And and I'll tell you where where it really stuck out to me. Uh, I I think on the battle of the boards, uh, prior to the game against UConn, Kentucky was killing everybody on the boards. Um, And the UConn game, I'm I'm not sure if UConn had the rebounding advantage or it it might have been. By one. It wasn't. You know, there you go. There you go. It, It wasn't what. They had been doing the prior three games, controlling the boards and, and pretty much controlling the tempo of the game. I mean, if, if you watched it right. Monday, you really thought the game was played at UConn's pace. And even for as close as it was when Kentucky was starting to come back, you know, you, you never really thought that it was their game, you know, to win. It was more so UConn's game to lose. Uh, and, and like I said, you know, UConn just hit big shots down the stretch and, you know, played very well. For sure, and and I look at I'm going back of to 1992 when you have Michigan, and and how they went through the tournament. And ultimately, they go against Duke and they get blown out against Duke in the title game. Do you see any similarities between that and and what happened to Kentucky? Uh, no, I think in '92 in uh, that game, I just thought Duke was just far more superior. In that second okay. half, it was almost like the uh, the big brother little brother uh, syndrome. You know, the big brother keeps you close early on, and then you know later on, it's like, okay, I just want you to feel good. Now I'm just going to pull away. Uh, I, I think with this game, it, it was just different. You know, the uh, the parity was there. You know, and, and okay. not to take anything away from that Michigan team in ninety ninety two is probably the greatest freshman class ever. Uh, but Duke was just that far more superior than them that night. And, uh, you know, I don't think UConn was as far ahead of Kentucky. You know, they didn't okay. have guys that made plays down the stretch. We're talking to St. Peter's assistant basketball coach Marlon Guild and, and Marlon, I'm looking at it now, Kevin Ollie and, and what he has done with this team. This was a team last year, could not play in the NCAA tournament because of sanctions. This was a team – and a coach that wasn't really this it wasn't really a popular hire at UConn when they hired Kevin Ollie. You look at Kevin Ollie and, and what he did and, and what kind of job he did for UConn this season. Talk about it. Talk about some of the things that he's done and he did in this tournament and throughout the course of the season in order for UConn to win the title. Uh, you know what, man, and, and I'm not saying this because Kevin Ollie is a good friend of mine. I, I honestly – believe that he gets guys to believe in him. Um, right. 
you know, they're not the most talented team. But if, if you watch how he gets his guys to play, that that's far more important than, than having talent. You know, if you can get your guys to play hard and, and they believe in what you're doing and what you're saying, it makes the game so much easier uh, for you. And, and, you know, in regards to KO, I mean, he's been where those guys are trying to go. So who who better to listen to than that guy? Uh, and and just, just watching him as a whole, man, he has the total package. Uh, and... I said this earlier in the year uh, about Ed Cooley at Providence. I, I mean, if I'm a uh, African-American parent, I don't mind sending my son to go play for Ed Cooley because I, I think he has the John Thompson effect of, of the 80s and 90s. I think Kevin Alley is right in that boat as well. Uh, to to walk, walk into a house and... and Say hey, I want I want your son to come play for me, and I'll take him as a boy. And when you get him back, he'll be a man. He just right. has that kind of effect on everybody, not not just his players, but just everybody uh, in general. I mean, I'll give you a personal story. Uh, he and I were just talking through text uh, Friday, you know, and, and I hadn't uh, bombarded him through the whole tournament, you know. That he had he had bigger things to do than, than talk to me. Sure. And, uh, you know, I, I just sent sent him a text like, hey, man, good job on the season. Congrats. And the first thing he said was, hey, man, I, I love you, homeboy. Thanks for believing in me. It, so wow. it wasn't even a, a, a basketball-related conversation, you know, for, from his part. And, uh, you know, that that's what you get from him, man, a, a genuine guy that really cares about what he's doing and, and the perception that he has, you know, and it's far more than basketball. Now, I just I just hear him talk, and, and you you know, just hearing you talk about him, and just when I hear him talk, you just you just see confidence. You see a guy who believes in what he does and believes in what he's teaching. And I mean, it, it, you could sit, you could tell that you know it, his team is following his lead, and his team followed his lead throughout the course of this whole tournament. I mean, it was it was an amazing coaching job out of Kevin Ollie. You see him going to the NBA at some point? Uh, you know what? It's funny that, that that has come up. I mean, I saw a story in the uh, L.A. Times last week about uh, the Lakers trying to go yeah. and, and, and get him. Um, I even put a joke out on, on Twitter that, hey, the Knicks need to hire Kevin Allen. But <laughs> you, you know what, man? I, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I hope he stays in the college game. Uh, okay. And... It's not even from a basketball standpoint. It's just from the mentoring and the role model standpoint that he can provide for kids that are playing at the college level. You know, I mean, you hear guys like LeBron and Kevin Durant talk about him as a person. Well, we need more of that for the younger generation, you know, the 18 to 24 age age group. Mm-hmm. Um you know, but at the same time, you know, that there's this thing called money that holds a lot of power. Uh, so, you, you know, you can't fault him, but at the same time, you know, college basketball needs Kevin Alley more than Kevin Alley needs college basketball. Now, you look at, 
Shabazz Napier now and his run through this tournament. We've seen Danny Manning. We've seen Glenn Rice in the run those guys had. We've seen Kemba Walker in the run he's had. Where, where do you rank this run? Where, where do you rank Napier's run? Oh, no, you, you, you got to put it right right up there uh, with, with those guys. And I, I'll say this. Um, you know, I, I caught, caught Kemba Walker's run. You know, Danny Manning, Glenn Rice, a, a little bit before my time. I'm showing my age here. But, uh, you know, Glenn you Rice's run was amazing. Like, Not to interrupt you. Uh, I'm glad I got ESPN Classics, man, just to, to watch it. <laughs> a funny story, just to go off a tangent a little, a little bit. I worked with John Morton at St. Peter's, and he swears up and down until this day that championship game against uh, Seton Hall wasn't a foul. So, okay. you know, we'll uh, we'll see. But I uh, didn't have a chance to see Glenn Rice's run or Danny Manning, but just to go back to your discussion, I mean, what Shabazz did this whole tournament, uh, not not even just for the tournament, for the whole year. I mean, you go back to the shot against Florida during the regular season and the, the way he carried them throughout the year. And, you know, you look at the, the blowout loss to Louisville right before the tournament started. And, um, you, you know, him not giving up, or, or even last year not giving up and coming back to finish this thing out, you know, you, you got to put his his run right up there with, with those guys that you mentioned earlier. For sure. And, and, and just to kind of put Glenn Rice's run into context, 184 points scored during that tournament run back in 1989. That record still stands today. So that was a heck of a run. I mean, that was a heck of a run by that Michigan team and a heck of a run by Glenn Rice, but also a heck of a run by Shabazz Napier and the Yukon Huskies. I look at Napier, and where do you see him in terms of the next level? Where do you see him on the NBA level? Uh, you know what? He'll make somebody's roster. Um, I look at him as a good backup, almost similar to Kevin Holly. You know, and people okay. can say what they want. 11 teams in 13 years or whatever the number is, the fact of the matter is the man still made a living off playing professional basketball and, and I see Shabazz in that same same boat. You know, he would okay. be a, a very good backup for a team, you know, somebody that can give you a spell for twelve to fifteen minutes a game. And and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, because he's a winner. Uh be a good locker room guy as he matures and grows into the league. And, uh, you know, sky's the limit for him being in the league, you, you know, and, and getting an opportunity. Definitely, definitely. And we'll see what happens when Napier moves forward. I want to qu- quickly, Joyce Randall, well, where do you see him? I- I've heard comparisons, uh, obviously, Zach Randolph, probably because he's left-handed. But I think he's a little more athletic than Zach. But where do you see him on the next level? Uh, you know what, man? I- I'll say prior to – the championship game, he was a beast. Uh, and it, it's funny, I saw him right before his senior year uh, in the summertime go up against Andrew Wiggins in an AAU tournament. And, you know, at that time, you know, Andrew Wiggins was, was the number one guy, and, and rightfully so. And that day, Julius Randle went toe-to-toe with him and was just as good, if not better. Uh, and, you know, you just watch his body of work throughout the year. And as the year went on, 
he got better and better and better. Um, you know, so he's another guy that sky's the limit for him. Uh, like you said, the Zach Randolph comparison, you know, maybe because he's left-handed, uh, yeah. I think Zach probably shoots it a little better from the perimeter. Yeah. But Julius Randle, when he puts it down going left with a full head of steam, he can get by anybody. He can probably get by some guards, you know, if you use him in a pick-and-pop situation where he can drive it going to his left hand. Uh, you know, in the post, he has that spin move where he faces you up, drives it to the baseline and spins, which – you know, that, that that should be illegal for college basketball. That, that's a move that <laughs> they should have in NBA 2K because he's so effective uh, with it. You, you know, I think if there is a hole in his game, he's probably shooting it from the perimeter. You know, the, he needs to get a little better with that. But you, you look at him, man, in the post he scores, uh, he can drive to the basket. You know, he can get to the free throw line and, and make some shots. I know he probably didn't shoot it well during the national championship game, but, you know, he's pretty efficient from the line. Right. And he rebounds the heck out of the basketball, man. And, and, you know, if you can do all those things, there's a spot for you on somebody's roster and, and a starting spot at that. So he'll have a nice, you know, 10 to 15-year career, barring any injury or, or anything crazy. But, uh, you know, the people that I've spoken to that know him, you know, don't foresee that happening as far as any antics off the court or things like that. So, you know, I w- wish him well. You know, I, I don't know if he – has he declared yet? I haven't even heard. He hasn't declared yet. Okay. He has okay. not. Well, if, if, if he does or, or when he does, you know, that, that, that'll that be a, a good move for him. It's a, I think it's a matter of time. I think he'd be a fool to go back because at that <laughs> point – you, you would all, your game would only be nitpicked and and you know scrutinized even more and that that's it's really not I don't think it would be in his best interest I think he's at where he needs to be in terms of okay he he could go either four he could, I could see him going to top ten so mm-hmm. I mean at this point he's best served to just go and at this point Jabari Parker still hasn't declared it again I would think he would be an absolute fool to stay another year at Duke but it, we'll we'll see. But I think he would be a fool to stay. <laughs> well, I mean, you know you, what? I, I, I'll ask you this: man. Why would he be a fool for for staying? <laughs> because at I the mean, end it, of the day, it, it, mm-hmm. nothing good can come from it. I mean, what good can come from it? He can, he's either going to go one or two this year. So at that point, you can't go any higher than that. So, I mean, I don't know why he would stay. There, there's really no reason to stay. Well, his stock maybe. is. is, is Go ahead. Maybe he enjoys college, you know, and, and I, I, I see your point. I, I totally see your your point with it, you know, and, and I I agree with you. You know, he, he should go. There's nothing left for him to do. But, you know, I also look at it at the same time. All right, well, does he need the money? We don't know what his money situation is like right. uh, at, at home. And he genuinely loves being on campus you know, and being a college student, you know, there there has to be something said for that. Uh, for sure. You know, but just, just in today's way of the world, you know, we don't see things that way. And, and right. that's fine. Um, you know, I, I believe I read something today that he had applied for uh, sophomore housing already, which led to even okay. more speculation. But, you know, it, it's unfair to him you know, for us to tell him what he should and shouldn't do. Uh, True. I, I think if, if 
if, if he honestly likes college, you stay. Let me ask you this. How messed up would the world be if I said, hey, I wanted to go take my, uh, you know, we know he's into the church, and if I wanted to take a Mormon mission right now. We would go okay. crazy. We would we would lose right. our minds and, and you know think of every reason why this kid's a fool for for not doing that. But you know at the same time he probably sees the bigger picture. You know one day Jabari Parker, the basketball player, won't be around anymore. So Jabari Parker, the man and person, has to better himself. Well, I got to make sure I get a college degree. And like I said, right. who knows? Uh, you know either way he'll be well off. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, at the end of the day, if you know, as you said, if he does go on a, some type of Mormon mission, I mean, theoretically, that would seemingly be more important than NBA riches be more important than anything. So right. that there is always, I guess, that possibility. But I mean, if we're talking purely, you know, in terms of what you, I mean, he can he can't go and he can't be any worse. You know, he's right. the best he can be. He could be one or two, more than likely. Could probably going to be one if he declares. So Agreed. there's really nothing Agreed. out. I, and I understand he he may love college life. We all love college life. But <laughs> <laughs> if if the money is calling, the money is calling. And, uh, I mean, I guess you can always be satisfied in terms of money. But maybe you can't. I mean, I don't know. You, you just never know well, what can happen in the future. And I think, you know, when you're at the highest you can be and, we, you know, you got to go. We'll see if you go. Right. We'll see. Only time will tell. And I want to ask you this, Marlon, just summing up this whole tournament. I mean, this was a very unpredictable tournament, very exciting tournament, a tournament full of upset. Out of all the moments, what was your one shining moment in this tournament? Uh, wow. Throwing me on the spot with, with that one. My, my one shining <clears throat> moment. Uh, you know, it would, would it probably be uh, a young man from, from Mercer uh, busting out the Nene dance after beating Duke. Okay. Because it, th- that's what the NCAA tournament is all about, you know, uh, un- unpredictability, you know, of, of right. what's going to happen. I mean, let's think about it. How many of us had Mercer beaten Duke? You know, pro- no I, I don't even think the guys on Mercer thought they were going to beat Duke. <laughs> so... You know, for them to uh, pull off that seat, man, and have a good time and enjoy it, and uh, to have Coach K come in afterwards and uh, give that team some encouragement going into the future, that that's what it was all about, man. Um, you know, the uh, the David versus Goliath and, and right. having success and, and, you know, having a feel-good story. And, and I know that there were, were others uh, – NDSU, you know, Stephen F. Austin schools like that, but, right. you know, I, I just thought the, uh, you know, the, the the post-game celebration of the Mercer guys uh, having a good time, and, and that's what it's all about, you know, so for me, that would probably be, off the top of my head, that would probably be the best moment, I mean, obviously, another one would be Dayton, you know, going as far as they did, um, but I, I'm, I'm going to stick with Mercer. Okay, so Mercer and, and beating Duke. I mean, that was a that was a great great moment, obviously. And I think, you know, uh, being a Duke hater, you know, that was a great <laughs> moment for me. You know, I actually enjoyed that moment. I, I want to ask you this before we get out of here: <clears throat> New York Knicks, 
They did win last night in Toronto, but the Atlanta Hawks did beat the Brooklyn Nets last night. Three games left, Knicks two games out. At this point, they need the Hawks to lose every single game, their final three, and the Knicks need to go 3-0 and to finish the season. Will it happen? Will the Knicks make the playoffs? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> no, no, what's funny, man, when I said I was coming on the show today, uh, <laughs> one, one of my players sent me something on Twitter and said, hey, you better not talk about the Knicks. And I said, well, I won't. And he, he's a Celtic fan, so I said I won't be talking about the Knicks nor the Celtics. But um, you know, since you, you pulled it out of me, it, it's going it's going to be a tough one, man. Not to say that it can't be done, uh, but it, it's like a what, what's the saying when when you're a kid and your dad has that conversation with you? You're allowed three good women in your life. <laughs> I, I think that's the line. Uh, the Knicks have three good chances to really lock this thing up, and they let them slide. You know, the loss to Cleveland at home maybe about a month ago, and then they followed that up with the uh, 51-point Laker juggernaut uh, in, in Los Angeles, and then the loss to the Phoenix Suns on that West Coast trip. Three games that if, if you win those three games, we're not even having this conversation. Where I'm talking to you about trying to get some tickets to – you know, game three, uh, you know, against the Heat. But, right. uh, you know, it, it, it's going to be tough. I mean, winning last night was big, and but then at the same time you had the Hawks beat the Nets. And it's just tough because you know that those teams are fighting for their lives, and I'm not sure what the Hawks' last couple games are, but you know if they're playing against some teams, they're going to rest. They're going to rest their starters a little bit. So it's going to be a little, it's going to be a little tough. Uh, so not to say that it can't be done, but if I was a betting man, I would say we'll see you in November. <laughs> and I think based off the final three games, the Hawks, they do play the Heat tonight, but we don't know what the Heat are going to do in terms of, like you said, resting players. We'll see, but the Heat are still battling for that number one spot. So I think they'll play it straight up. Charlotte, come on, come on, D Wade. I, I need you to play tonight, D Wade. Need him to play. <laughs> they, they, they have the Heat at home. They have Charlotte at home. And depending on whether or not the Bobcats are still fighting at fighting with the Washington Wizards for the sixth spot, determines how well or whether they'll play that game straight up. And then lastly, they travel to Milwaukee to play the Bucks. And Milwaukee, I think, at that point would have sewn up the worst record in basketball already. So maybe they'll go out and try to win. So it could, I mean, you need a lot to happen for you, but I guess anything is possible. Anything. <laughs> we'll see, man. My fingers are crossed, man. We'll see. <laughs> you better get those toes crossed, too, while you had Marlon, as always, Pleasure talking to you. Can't wait to have you back. NBA draft time. We've got to talk NBA draft. That's coming up in nah, a couple months. Uh, yeah, a couple months, man, a couple months. But, you know, as always, man, thanks for having me. And uh, whenever you want to do it again, let's do it. For sure. Take care. All right, you too. Marlon Gale, St. Peter's College assistant basketball coach, lifelong Knicks fan. And, you know, we'll see what happens with the Knicks, as I said. You know, the, the the Knicks, I didn't even bother to look at the Knicks schedule. I know they have Bulls uh, on Sunday, but, again, they have to go 3-0, but they need Atlanta to go on 3. So they need a lot of help. 
But anyway, they have the Bulls on Sunday. Then they have at Brooklyn, and they finish it off with Toronto. Again, we don't know whether or not those teams will play those games straight up or not. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But Miami's still fighting for that number one seed. So Miami definitely needs to game, I think, tonight against the Hawks. You have, but you don't know how Miami will be coming off a back-to-back and coming off a, a victory against Indiana in a big-time game, a game that meant a lot to both teams. Both teams, excuse me, a lot, meant a lot to the Miami Heat, so you don't know how the Heat will be. But anyway, you got the Heat, the Hawks playing the Heat, then the Hawks playing the Bobcats, who've been playing well of late, but, and, and also are fighting for the sixth seed. So you have that situation, and the Bobcats have a better chance if they get to sixth seed. You, you figure they probably would think they would have a better chance, but you never know now the way Indiana's playing, and you never know if Indiana will get that second spot, so you never know. But I think the Bobcats feel like they would have a better chance against, say, a Toronto or Chicago than they do against Miami or Indiana. But that's questionable with Indiana, and who knows what's going to happen with Miami and Indiana. So they could end up playing Miami in the first round. So you want to dodge that if all possible. So the Bobcats probably will play the game straight up in Milwaukee. It comes down to that final game. And Milwaukee, again, nothing to play for. They, they're playing for spoil, spoiling at that point. They're spoilers, and the reality is if Milwaukee – at that point, doesn't matter in terms of the worst record. They'll have that all sewn up by then. So Milwaukee may play that game straight up and may actually want to win that game. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I hope it, the Knicks get to the playoffs. Again, I don't want to see the Atlanta Hawks in the playoffs. I, I know I said this over and over, and I'm going to reiterate, I do not want to see the Atlanta Hawks in the playoffs. I don't want to see it. Not something I want to see. No, I just don't. Sorry. I don't want to see that. And I don't think a lot of people want to see that. I think I speak for a lot of people. Probably speak for the NBA, too. In saying just that. No one wants to see the Hawks. And switching gears now, golf, the Masters, tradition like no other. But you look at the Masters. Phil Mickelson misses the cut. Tiger Woods, not there. So, you know, you look at it at this point, it's obviously not, it's going to obviously have the buzz with golf fans. But it's not going to have that, that buzz with, you know, casual golf fans. Because Tiger Woods isn't there. And also Phil Mickelson isn't there. So no Mickelson, no Woods doesn't bode well for the Masters in terms of ratings. it probably still get decent ratings because it is the Masters. But not having those those guys, those, those big-name guys, Mickelson and Woods, definitely hurts the Masters. Definitely hurts it. But you've got Bubba Watson leading the field, minus seven. So he's in control. John Fenton, three strokes back. Thomas Bourne, four strokes back. Adam Scott, four strokes back. So Fred Couples, the great Fred Couples, five strokes back. But again, you don't have the Tiger effect. You don't have Tiger Woods there. You don't have that name recognition in Tiger Woods. That hurts. That hurts. And we'll see how the Masters turns out. When we come back, 
we're going to be discussing the Western Conference playoffs in the NBA. What's going to happen there? How's that going to sort out? Who will get the final two spots between Phoenix, Memphis, and the Dallas Mavericks? You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean anything in the playoffs time. When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean anything. I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, (laughs) too, man. (laughs) Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that, you know, we know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you you have a pedigree. (laughs) We've seen what you can do. We've seen it. (laughs) I would never bring my wife around, too. I yeah, just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. That's not Roxy. <laughs> That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're Thanks. very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> okay. Hey, what up? It's Corey Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picturica on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man, Paulie G and Jeremy. Get it! Thank you, sir. You got it, brother. Have a go, man. And we're back. And the Western Conference. We talked about the Eastern Conference. We all know it's all sewn up. Well, the first seed still battle for the number one seed, still battle for the eighth seed, but the rest of them are just jockeying for position. The Western Conference, much different story. Well, same story. But you got three teams battling for the sixth, for the seventh, eighth spot. Three teams, two spots. And you look at the Western Conference. You look at Dallas, Memphis, and Phoenix. You look at the Phoenix Suns. This is a team on the outside looking in at this point. If the playoffs were to start today, Memphis would get the eighth spot, Dallas would get the seventh spot. But there's some basketball. A lot of basketball. Three games to be played and three games of significance. You have Phoenix, who goes against Dallas tonight, at Dallas. Again, this game, a lot of significance. This is a big game. This is a playoff game, actually. This is like a seventh game. This is like a seventh game. Dallas wins, they clinch. Dallas wins, they clinch. So, this is big. This is a big game. Dallas' final two games are against Memphis and are against the Phoenix Suns. Memphis and the Suns, the final two games. If they win tonight, they clinch. If they don't, they make this very, very interesting. They make it very, very interesting. 
and you look at the Mavericks, again, they have Phoenix tonight, and then they have Memphis. At Memphis. At Memphis. You look at Phoenix, they probably have to win out at this point. They got to win out. And you look at them, obviously it starts tonight against Dallas, which would be game 80 for the Phoenix Suns. And they had, they, they had a valuable opportunity last night. I mean, they had a 21-point lead against the San Antonio Spurs and no Tim Duncan, and they lose the game. That's the game you got to win. No Tim Duncan. you got to get that done. you got to get that done, especially after being up 21 points at one point in that game, being a 13 at the half. You've got to win that game. That's a game you've got to get done, especially if you want to make the playoffs. I mean, it's going to be a situation now. You've got the Golden State Warriors. Back a few years back, won 48 games outside looking in. You look at the Suns now. This is a team at 47 and 32 has to win 50 games to get to the playoffs. They're going to have to get to that 50. They're going to have to get to that magic number of 50. And you look at them. Their next two games will decide it. Their next two games are big, at Dallas and Memphis at home. So they, they, in a lot of ways, they're in control of their destiny. They control their own destiny. Memphis, they're in a good situation. I mean, you beat the Sixers last night. Sixers are awful. Second worst record in basketball. And then you have the Lakers tonight, another bad basketball team, and then you end the year at Phoenix and then against the Dallas Mavericks. So it's going to be interesting. What's going to happen? How's this thing going to play out? I look at it this way. You know, Dallas Mavericks missed the playoffs, their season would not be considered a successful season. Memphis Grizzlies missed the playoffs. Their season would not be considered a successful season. The Phoenix Suns missed the playoffs. Well, it's what we expected. No one expected the Phoenix Suns to be at this point to win 47 games, not alone. No one expected 47 games out of the Suns. Many expected 20 out of Phoenix Suns. Many expected the Phoenix Suns to be as bad as the Sixers and the Milwaukee Bucks. No one expected the Suns to be in a position they're in right now. The ninth spot in the Western Conference, 47-32, and, and a team, if they can win out, have an opportunity to go to the playoffs. This is going to be fun, these final three games. This is going to be fun starting tonight in Dallas, and ending the season where Grizzlies play the Suns and the Mavericks. Mavericks' final two games against the teams they have to beat in order to secure their playoff position, Phoenix and Memphis. This 
should be exciting. Should be exciting. And you're the Mavericks. You control your own destiny. You're the Suns. You basically control your own destiny. So it's it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. And you look at Phoenix. I heard Jalen Rose say this. Their Phoenix are better off not making the playoffs and adding pieces to what they already have. It's probably not far off with that. Definitely not far off with that. But I think if you're this close, obviously, don't tell it to the players. They're this close with, with an opportunity to get to the playoffs. They want to get to the playoffs, bottom line. They, they want to do what they got to do to get to the playoffs. And we'll see if they can do it. But, again, they play the Grizzlies. They play the Suns. So they, they control. They also play the Sacramento Kings. So they control what they need to control. And if they can win out, they're in the playoffs. They don't. They're home. The game tonight against the Dallas Mavericks is going to be good. This is a game seven type game. This is a, a, a playoff game. This is a playoff game. Their next three are playoff games for the Suns. They're basically down 3-1. Win out at Dallas. Win, beat Memphis at home, and then go to Sacramento and beat Sacramento. You are in the playoffs. You lose to Dallas tonight, you make it tough for yourself. You make it very, very tough for yourself. And it's going to be very interesting. I can't wait. I can't wait to see how this thing uh, plays out. I really can't. Because this is, you know, you, you play 82 plus, you play 82 games, and it, when it comes out to the end like this, and you know, it, it, it's fun. It definitely is a fun, fun situation. And Memphis got off to that bad start, but you know they they finished getting Gasol back, and they they played some be- good basketball moving forward. Got off to a slow start, but they really turned this thing around, and they own the season series against the Phoenix Suns, so they control the tiebreaker. So if they tie, they're tied. With the Phoenix Suns, guess what? The Memphis Grizzlies get to the playoffs. So the Suns need to win out, bottom line. They need to win out. And they control their own destiny, and they play who they need to play. So this, 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 the NBA schedule makers, they probably didn't believe when they, when they put this schedule together last year that the Phoenix Suns would be battling for their playoff lives. They, they didn't expect that. No one expected that. And so they got lucky. They, they really got lucky here, and it should be fun. But just looking at the Western Conference and, and just the standings as a whole, and you look at Houston and, and Portland battling for that fourth spot, Port, uh, Houston a, game, a half a game over Portland for that fourth spot in the East, in the West, excuse me. Clippers, you look at uh, Golden State, they're securing that sixth spot for the most part. So it basically comes to, to the final two seeds. San Antonio has clinched the best record in basketball, so they're good. So when you look at the West, it's going to be San Antonio. When it's all said and done, it's going to be San Antonio, OKC, two, Clippers, three. I think Houston holds on to the fourth spot. Portland at five. That four-five matchup is going to be good. 
Clippers, Golden State, 3-6. Golden State has a six spot. That 3-6 matchup is going to be good. And then you have Dallas, Memphis, and Phoenix. And, you know, these teams could be close to winning 50 games, and they're going to be – it's going to be interesting in those series as well. I think San Antonio and uh, OKC get it done against whoever it is they play, whether it's Dallas, Memphis, or Phoenix. And also I think um, the Clippers – and Golden State, that's going to be a good one, an interesting one, and I'm not prepared to pick that one. And Houston, Portland, I'm not prepared to pick that one as well. So, I mean, those are going to be interesting. But the Western Conference is going to have a lot of must-see games throughout the playoffs. And out east, I think Atlanta holds on. The Knicks are going to need a lot, and I don't think they'll get that. I think Atlanta holds on. I think Washington holds on to the sixth spot. Charlotte stays at seven. Brooklyn will stay at five. Toronto will stay at four. I think Chicago holds on to that three spot. And I think Miami gets the number one spot, and I believe Indiana gets that second spot. So that's the way I think it's going to play out in these playoffs. Those are going to be the matchups. Those are, those are teams that are going to get in. Should be interesting to see how it works out. Ocho Cinco Chad Johnson has a tryout in the CFL. He worked out with the Montreal Alouettes, and we'll see what happens. Actually, they're, they're going to work him out. He didn't work out. He'll work out with the Alouettes this week. I mean, we haven't seen Chad Johnson since the situation with his then ex, with his then wife, Evelyn Lozada, from Basketball Wives fame, former uh, fiance of Antoine Walker, her, in that whole situation where. Unfortunately, he was arrested for headbutting her back in 2012. And, you know, ultimately, it was a, a tough situation for Chad. Obviously, he, he said he wanted to go get some help. Hopefully, he got the help necessary so he won't ever be in that situation again. But you look at the situation with Miami, and that was kind of like Chad's last opportunity. I mean, he went to New England and playing with Tom Brady, and that didn't work out for him. He was off in New England. And then, you know, he got another opportunity in being back home in Miami, an opportunity to, to, to play with the Miami Dolphins, his hometown team, if you will. And he had this situation. This, this situation messed him up. Obviously, he's, 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 he was guilty. Obviously, he's culpable in, in the whole situation and what transpired. But we'll see what happens with Chad. I like to see Chad get another chance. I like to see everybody get a, a second, third, fourth chance if necessary. Whatever you got to do to get it right. And hopefully Chad can, can get it right. Hopefully he can. <clears throat> and then you look at now the situation with Colin Kaepernick. And according to TMZ, and they, they have a report out that, you know, you look at the situation with three players, and according to TMZ and according to an incident report filed with the Miami police, a woman who at this point is unnamed, the woman told police that she spent time with three players, Quentin Patton of the 49ers, Ricardo Lockett of the Seahawks, who used to play with the 49ers, and Colin Kaepernick. The woman said that you know, they were players were drinking, smoking uh, marijuana in and, and Lockett's apartment, and ultimately she ended up in a bedroom with Colin Kaepernick. 
ultimately, the woman says she woke up. She had no memory of what happened, no memory of how she she got to the hospital. And at this point, there was a rape test done. And at that point, at this point, there is no results at this point in time. And according to TMZ, Kaepernick is being investigated for alleged sexual assault. And this is citing unnamed law enforcement sources. But at this point in time, at this point in time, and and this is the, the Miami police have actually told the San Jose Mercury News that there was no evidence of a sexual assault. And they're saying that TMZ took the report out of context. So at this point, at this point, he, no one's been arrested. So at this point, the Miami police tell the San Jose Mercury News that there's no evidence. So at this point, this is just rumor and, and, and just speculative at this point in time. And Colin Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick went on to Twitter to talk about TMZ and some of the things that they do in terms of reporting. In his first tweet, the charges made in the TMZ story and other stories are seen, I've seen are completely wrong. They made things up about me that never happened. Colin Kaepernick went on to tweet, I take great pride in who I am and what I do, but I guess sometimes you have to deal with someone who makes things up. Kaepernick went on to tweet, I want to thank all the people who have shared their encouraging sentiments. I assure you that your faith is not misplaced. Those were the tweets from Colin Kaepernick, and we'll see how the story plays out. We'll see if the story even even go. We'll see if the story ever goes anywhere. It, it may not ever go anywhere. You know what I mean? And, and TMZ is known to report things that don't go anywhere. I mean, you know, they were reporting what a few weeks ago that Floyd Mayweather uh, was involved in something. And at this point, I haven't seen any reputable news source grab that has grabbed that story. So I don't, you know, I'm, I don't know what this that that tells me that at this point, it's not a story. And at this point, this seems to be not a story. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens moving forward with Kaepernick. But you know, he's a big time NFL quarterback, so. He has to watch some of the things that he does. He he has to watch who he associates with. He has to watch where he goes. That's just the nature of his situation, and that's the nature of being an NFL player, and that's the nature of being Colin Kaepernick. And when we come back, we're going to be talking to a guy who's trying to be an NFL player. We're going to bring in Ohio State safety, C.J. Barnett, when we come back, you're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean see anything in the playoffs, Tom. When the playoffs come, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. I was, uh, to throw you, you know I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that, you know, we know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you, you, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around, too. 
I, I yeah, just don't know yeah, what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. Come on now. That's early. <laughs> That's not Rocky. <laughs> That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're Thank very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> so the NFL draft, 26 days away. And, you know, a lot of players, I mean, the, the it's going to impact a lot of lives and a lot of people, and it should be very interesting to see what transpires. We're going to bring in a guy now who's preparing for that upcoming NFL draft, a guy who is ready to get on with the get on. Let's bring him in now. Safety, former Ohio State safety, C.J. Barnett. C.J. Yes, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How you doing? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, CJ, you were not invited to the NFL Combine, and you called that disappointing. But you had an opportunity at the Ohio State Pro Day to show scouts, GMs, and coaches what you have to offer. What kind of feedback did you get? I got really good feedback. Um, all the all the scouts all the scouts had positive things to say. Said they were impressed with. You know, my numbers that I put up, uh, especially with my speed, being able to run a 4.48, um, I think that was a, that was a question that, that some people had was how fast was I. So I was able to show them that, you know, I had a little bit of speed. And you talked about, and I said earlier, and I was reading an article, you talked about how disappointed you, disappointed you were in not being invited to the combine. Uh, talk about that. How disappointing was that for you? Uh, I mean, it was definitely disappointing. I, I felt like, I felt like me and other guys on my team were were definitely uh, you know worthy of being invited there. I felt like you know we were we were some of the best at our positions, so I thought that we belonged there. But uh, I mean, it was out of my control, out of our control. So you know we had to do the best of what we got. Now, CJ, many have talked about your tackling, tackling ability and your ability to tackle in space. Talk about that aspect of your game. Uh, I think it's uh, very important. Very important, you know, thing to be able to be able to do, um, especially now, you know, with these teams and these offenses, they try to get you out of space. So being able to tackle in space is huge. Um, it's just something that you just got to work on. I know uh, last year, you know, my coach Everett Withers, that was something that he really stressed on. So you know, every every practice, I really I really took that and uh, and, and tried to improve it. Now, CJ, you were the team captain at Ohio State, one of the team captains. And so, obviously, you demonstrated leadership qualities. Talk about the leadership qualities of C.J. Barnett. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, a lead-by-example type of guy. Um, I definitely, you know, want others to follow me and uh, demand others to follow me. But I, I make sure that I lead myself first. Um, and, I mean, yeah, I, I just think that, you know, the, the way on the field, the way I play and the way I carry myself off the field, you know, guys guys like follow. Hello? Hello? Yeah, I'm still, I'm still here. Okay. I thought we lost you for a second. We're talking Ohio State safety, former Ohio State safety, C.J. Barnett. And, C.J., this season you led Ohio State in interceptions, second on the team in tackles. As a whole, were you happy with what you did as a senior at Ohio State? Uh. Not, not really. When we 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 finished out losing two games, uh, you know, it was my dream to play for a national championship and go win one for you know Ohio State. 
but uh, wasn't able to get that accomplished. I mean, individual individual stats were pretty good, but you know, it was all about the you know getting a national championship. Now, CJ, throughout the course of your career, you played both safety spots. You played both safety spots last season. Is there a preference for you in terms of strong safety or free safety on the next level? Uh, it just depends on just depends on the defensive scheme. Um, our defensive scheme allowed the free allowed the free safety more you know more ways to make plays. So wherever I mean honestly wherever wherever my opportunity is to make more plays is where I want to be. Now some say that the scheme at Ohio State really didn't fit you as a player. Did you feel that way? Uh, no. Some, sometimes maybe um, okay. maybe we playing strong safety a little bit. I like free safety. Uh, this past year when I played after Christian got hurt at free safety, I was a lot more productive than I've been. Okay. So uh, that definitely, you know, playing that position helped me out. Now, CJ, you're a bright guy. You're a Big Ten all-academic. You're, you were on the Big Ten all-academic team. You won a lot of football games at Ohio State. But what does those academic honors mean to you? Uh, it means a lot. Uh, definitely, definitely education is very important to me and my mom. Um, something she instilled in me, and uh, I took it very serious. And um, I think being able to, you know, take care of your academics and you know play at a play at a, a at a huge level uh, at a big university like Ohio State is very important. And that's a crime that. Now, CJ, a lot of people have talked about your tackling ability, but I'm reading some scouts, and some scouts question your athleticism and instincts on the next level. When you hear things like that, how do you respond? Uh, there's always, I mean, there's always things that I can get better at. Um, right. I may not agree. I may not agree with everything they say, but, uh, you know, that's why I have an opportunity. I'll have an opportunity to go prove them wrong. Now, th- does it bother you at all when, when you see those type of things? Because obviously you don't necessarily agree with them, but when you see those type of things, does it bother you? Uh, no. I mean, I just, I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, I hold my own uh, on the field. Um, never, I haven't had too many problems, so. Uh, I think I'll be able to continue to, you know, get my job done and excel. We're talking to former Ohio State safety C.J. Barnett. And do you kind of stay away from those publications, those magazines, ESPN.com and all those other draft-type uh, websites that talk about where you possibly may go? Do you stay away from all that? Yeah, I don't really. Uh, I mean, I mean, that, that I'm sure that, you know, they get paid for that, but, I mean, the only only people that really know is the people that are you know drafting the coaches and the sure. teams. So, whenever that whenever that happens, you know, whenever draft day is, you know, I'll be ready for that uh, or whatever, wherever I may go. Where are you expected to go in terms of round? Where are you expecting to go? Uh, in the late rounds, probably like uh, fifth through seventh. Okay. Okay. So, in terms of that, and is that. Does that bother you at all, or you just say, you know what, this is where it's going to be, this is how it's going to be, and I'm just going to make the best of it? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, really I mean, everybody would love to be a first-round pick, but everybody can't be. Um, but, no, I really, it really doesn't matter to me. All I need is an opportunity, and I, and I think I'll be able to make the best of that chance. Who was your favorite team growing up? Uh, I was a Baltimore Ravens fan. Okay, okay. How'd that happen? Uh, just their defense. Uh, you know, Ed Reed and Ray Lewis. Um, Ed Reed being my favorite defensive player, and Ray Lewis okay. just being the great player that he is. You know, just kind of fell in love with that team. Okay. 
Now, when it's all said and done, why should any team give C.J. Barnett an opportunity? Uh, I think just just because of the things that I bring to the table, like uh, my leadership, my work ethic, uh, intensity, um, and just the way I compete. I'm a winner and uh, love to win. And uh, I think that I can, be, you know, be a good aspect on special teams and, and even on defense. All right. There you have it, folks. C.J. Barnett, he believes that he can be and, and make an impact on the next level. C.J., you are on Twitter. Where can fans connect with C.J. Barnett on Twitter? Uh, at, at C4, uh, S-E-E, uh, underscore, number four, O-U-R. Okay, fans, support this man. He's on the journey to the National Football League. The NFL draft is 26 days away, and this man's looking to get his name called on that day. Now, CJ, th- throughout the course of this, this NFL draft process, obviously, you know, you get poked, you get prodded, you get question after question. Talk about that process. Is it a difficult process or is it a fun process? Uh, I mean, I think it's a. I mean, I think it's kind of a fun process a little bit. Um, I mean, a lot of guys have, you know, some get more attention than others, and uh, so it may be a little more hectic for them. But I don't know. I feel like this is the only time where, I mean, all eyes are on you, and you're, and you're right. I mean, it's a, a, a pretty neat situation that you really won't get again. So um, I think uh, it's just something you can sit back and kind of enjoy. For sure, for sure. And I see on your Twitter, taken by a beautiful woman. What does that mean? <laughs> Oh man, uh, you know, just, just, you know, uh, taken by football, man. Taken by football is kind of a metaphor. Just uh, okay. you know, in love, with, in love with the game right now. Right, right, right. So you are taken by a beautiful woman, which is football, and hopefully, a few, a uh, few days, what, a few weeks from now, your name will be called by a team in the National Football League. CJ. Pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. And when you actually get on a team, love to do it again. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. Take care. All right, you too. C.J. Barnett, former safety for Ohio State as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft, which is 26 days away. Wow. Wow. And – Here's the funny thing about, you know, just that and just the National Football League as a whole. We're two months away from the seasons. We're, we're two months, the season ended February, two months past that. And, and it's like, wow, we're still talking about the NFL. We're still uh, caring about the NFL. And, and I think it's a great move for them to, to ex, you know, put the draft back in May because then, you know, obviously you have OTAs going on with some teams, but it, it just keeps – People talking about the NFL, talking about pro days, talking about free agency. You know, I mean, it, it just it keeps the NFL in the news, and the NFL is basically a 12-month sport. We talk about the NFL 12 months out of the year. Each and every day we're talking NFL football. We're talking the NFL football consistently, all the time. We're talking NFL football on a consistent basis. That's all you need to know about the National Football League. You look around the National Football League, by the way, a couple of stories that, that kind of caught my eye. Sean Merriman, 
uh, former NFL star. Well, Sean Merriman is going to the WWE. He joins the WWE. Wow. It's amazing. He will be in the WWE. Wow. So he's going to start a career as a wrestler. You wonder what he's going to be. What, what, what's he going to choose? What's his wrestling name going to be? Lights Out, I guess? Lights Out, Sean Merriman? I guess. But he's decided to, to become a wrestler, a pro wrestler. And we all know the excitement of WrestleMania last week, and a lot of people were excited about it. Um, a lot of wrestling fans, a lot of big wrestling fans out of here. I mean, I you know I used to watch wrestling a long time ago. I used to watch wrestling a long time ago, and you know as I, as I got older, I pretty much forgot about it. You know, I got older, I stopped watching, but it was it was had a nice long run, had a nice long run at least in my household. How long, you know, I, I guess I would say about 27, 28, I really pretty much gave it up in terms of watching it. But for a long period of time, grew up with it, used to watch it every weekend with my dad. And then, you know, just as an adult, used to watch it as well. And then it just, I just gave it up. But a lot of people love it. And we'll see how Lights Out, Sean Merriman, will do on w, with the WWE. I'm going to go to the Washington Redskins now. you got Andre Roberts who was signed by the Redskins in this offseason. This was before uh, they signed Deshaun Jackson. And the idea was, and the belief was, that he would be their number two receiver. Now Deshaun Jackson's there. And now, at this point, you look at Andre Roberts, he's struggling, and, and he told people he's struggling at this point, struggling with being the number three wide receiver, the number three target. Well, he said he struggled. Let me correct that. He struggled with being the number three target in Arizona. He called that frustrating. And he told a radio station, ESPN radio station, that, quote, I envisioned one thing, and then we signed Deshaun Jackson. So I haven't really thought too much. So obviously when he signed with the Redskins four years, $16 million with $8 million guarantees, he didn't expect Deshaun Jackson. He expected to have a big-time role with the Redskins, and he's obviously not going to have the same type of role with the Redskins that he thought he would initially. The role obviously is going to change. His role, he thought maybe he was coming to Washington to be a number two receiver because he did say being a number two receiver in Arizona was frustrating to him. It was frustrating to him, and he struggled with being the number three receiver in Arizona. So we'll see what happens. We'll see how his role changes and whether his frustration will decrease or increase. But obviously you got Pierre Gosson, who caught over 100 balls, 113 balls. You had Deshaun Jackson call 82 balls. So obviously his targets may be limited Andre Roberts. His targets definitely may be limited. So we'll see how that plays out for him. But it should be very interesting. And so we'll see how that works out. Speaking of Deshaun Jackson and and the whole situation with Deshaun Jackson, I mean, I want to go to something. Um, There was a report out in Philadelphia about Deshaun Jackson and the talk of his repeated uh, 
his conflicts and you know cursing out Chip Kelly. He said there was a chance, there was a moment where he cursed out Chip Kelly, and there was a moment where, well, a lot of moments, a few moments where him and Kelly had conflicts. Um, LaShawn McCoy now is telling people that quote, and these are these are his quotes coming from the AcquirePhilly.com quote. I've never seen that. I've never seen the two of them get into it. Kelly, the good thing I'll say about him is he's understanding. If you have an issue or a problem, he seems to always work it out. So that's what Deshaun, LeSean McCoy said about Deshaun McCoy. Deshaun Jackson, I should say. LeSean and Deshaun, you get it all mixed up. But that's what McCoy said about Jackson. He said he never saw it. He never saw it. And he also went on to talk about the Deshaun Jackson situation, quote, it's a surprise for sure. Anybody that tells you that they're happy about it, I don't know how honest that would be. It is a surprise. You've heard so much. You really don't know what's true. Not playing with him is definitely going to be different. Playing against him is really going to be different. It's some big shoes to fill. Deshaun's by far one of the biggest playmakers in the game and the biggest deep threat in the game. Some big shoes to fill for sure. We'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. We'll see how it all plays out. But obviously, LaShawn McCoy, I'm surprised it took so long for him to come out, but maybe, you know, it was a gag order on the team, but, you know, he, he's coming out and, and supported Deshaun Jackson. And that was one of the things that, really, really was interesting to me is the lack of support for Deshaun Jackson. The lack of support. And we'll see. He went on to say, then again, the front office, they obviously know what they're doing. You make a move like that, you obviously have something up your sleeve where you know you can get something that's similar or even better. We'll see. We'll see. And he was also asked why the Eagles released Deshaun Jackson. He said, I'm not sure. I can't answer that. I'm just a regular player. I don't know why. So he also talked about there was also a lot of talk that Deshaun Jackson alienated himself from the players, didn't really hang out with the players. And McCoy talked about that. I'm his teammate, quote, I'm his teammate or was his teammate, and we connected very well. In this game, man, everybody's professionals, and there's guys that have kids. Deshaun doesn't have any kids off the field. I bonded really well with Deshaun. So, interesting. I mean, it's interesting. He's, he's coming out and supporting Deshaun Jackson. And McCoy said he did has spoken to Deshaun Jackson since the release, and, quote, any player would be hurting. He's been basically the face of the program. I think since Donovan left in 2010, he loves the city, but it is a business. You have your feelings about the team, but you go in history, man, and you find so, so many different players leaving teams. That's how it works. They'll get over it eventually, I'm sure. Right now, he's going through it, and so are the Eagles. All them 10 jerseys out there, every Sunday, they're going to have to get new jerseys now. It's the same thing, man. You've got to live on. We've got to play them, guys. I'm a friend, but I can't wait to go out there and beat on the Redskins. I'm sure when he comes to Philly, he wants to have a great game. We'll still be friends. We'll still text and chat after the game. He got 16 million guaranteed. 
He's not happy? He says with a question mark, rhetorically. Obviously he's happy. $16 million in guarantees? You're happy. Everybody's happy with $16 million in guarantees. Anybody would be happy with that. I know I would. I know I would for sure. But what do I know? Anyway, obviously now, again, when I, when I was talking about Deshaun Jackson initially last week, the thought was one of the things that struck me was no one came out to support him. And LaShawn McCoy is saying, you know what, there are people in there who do support him. They just don't want to say it, basically. And he, he supports him. He, he supports Deshaun Jackson. He supports what he's done for this football team and with this, for this franchise. Well, he obviously supports it. And he's coming out and saying, you know what, I support him. And you didn't hear that. You didn't hear that at all from anybody. You didn't hear it. But now you're hearing it, and that's got to be a good thing for Deshaun Jackson in terms of his reputation. Obviously, his reputation has been sullied a little bit, but he does have an opportunity again going to Washington. He can change his reputation. Last night, New York Mets outfielder Curtis Granderson, well, he was touched by a fan. He was touched by a fan. And, you know, Granderson was none too happy about it. He said, quote, say whatever you want to say, boo, cheer, clap, cheer for your team, cheer for the other team, but just don't physically touch the players. And he was concerned about it. He went on to say, you never know what's going on, what's going to go on. The thing that was asked to me by the Angel security team was, are you okay? Did anything happen? I was like, yeah, everything's fine. But just the fact I got touched during the act of the game while things were going on is obviously something to always be concerned about. He said it was the first time it's happened to him. So he's obviously none too happy about that. Obviously none too happy. And this happened while he was trying to make a play in the outfield, in the corner of right field in Friday's game against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Obviously, no player wants to be touched, and I I think that goes without saying, especially without your permission. So he has the right to be upset and has the right to be, you know, have a level of concern because what if that touch was accompanied by a knife of some sort? You just never know. You you just never know. I mean, you obviously you saw the situation many years ago with uh, uh, Monica Sellers. And her getting stabbed and, and, you know, the effect that it has on her. So you obviously, we, we, you don't want to see anything like that happen. But at the same time, you, you can understand why a guy like Granderson would be a little upset and, and kind of taken aback by getting touched by a fan. I wouldn't be none, I'd be none too happy, and I can understand why he is none too happy. I could definitely understand it. But again, you just never know what could happen. You just never know. Speaking of you never know what's going to happen, Timothy Bradley, Manny Pacquiao getting it on tonight, a rematch of their last fight a couple years back, and we all know what happened in that last fight, June of 2012. The craziness that happened in that last fight, how 
Manny Pacquiao landed almost 100 more punches than Timothy Bradley, but somehow, someway, lost on every judge's scorecard. Excuse me, two out of the three judges' scorecards. Dwayne Ford, 115-113. C.J. Ross, 115-113. Both of those guys are no longer, both of those people are no longer judging fights, and rightfully so. C.J. Ross had 114-114 for Mayweather, Canelo Alvarez. Another fight that was not that close. So, should be an interesting fight. This is a fight, interesting fight. A lot of people thought Pacquiao won the first time. I did. A lot of people thought Bradley. Well, this is an opportunity now for and Bradley was, you know, the whole situation with Timothy Bradley afterwards. I mean, he talked about, you know, he was suicidal after what happened after fans were were killing him on. And the media was killing him. And, and, you know, everybody was, you know, saying this guy lost and gave him a hard, hard time. Obviously, Timothy Bradley did not win that fight. Anybody that saw that fight knows that Manny Pacquiao won that fight. Hands down, wasn't even close. I mean, I heard Roy Jones say he had it 11-1. I think Dan Rayfield of ESPN also had it 11-1. So you, you, you had a lot of, of that type of scorecard. And when you have scorecards that are 11-1, from people, and then you have what we see, 115, 113, you're saying, wow, seven rounds to five? So you're saying Timothy Bradley won seven rounds of that first fight? I don't see it. I don't see it. Still don't see it. But this is a, this is a fight now for Timothy Bradley where he can kind of prove the naysayers wrong. He, he can kind of say, you know what, whatever happened is what happened the first time around. But now I have an opportunity to tell everybody and show everybody what I'm really about and tell everybody and show everybody that I really can beat Manny Pacquiao. I think obviously at this point, I think Bradley is a better fighter than he was then. He had a, you know, Provodnikov, he had a life and death struggle there. And then he beat up, he beat Marquez in in a close fight, but a convincing victory I believe, for Timothy Bradley. And I've heard Bradley's cornerman, uh, Joel Diaz, believe that uh, uh, Pacquiao needs a uh, not Pacquiao, Bradley needs a knockout. And I almost agree with him because I believe that this fight is close. It's going to go to Pacquiao for what transpired last time around. I, I think because of what happened last time around, the judges are going to be more inclined to give those close rounds to Pacquiao. I think Pacquiao gets it done tonight. I think Pacquiao wins in a unanimous decision. I think it will go 12 rounds, and I think Manny Pacquiao wins. And I'm hoping, crossing fingers, toes, and anything else that can be crossed, that Pacquiao, that Mayweather gets by Maidana a few weeks from now, and that Pacquiao and Mayweather can hopefully get it on sometime in 2015. We'll see. Doubt it. Anyway, I want to thank Stephen Clark, former Auburn punter, for stopping by, support some of the great things going on with him as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft. Also, I want to thank C.J. Barnett, safety for Ohio State, former safety for Ohio State, for stopping by. Make sure you support some of the great things going on with him as he journeys to the NFL draft. Also, I want to thank St. Peter's College assistant basketball coach Marlon Gill for stopping by. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com slash pgan, where you can listen to this show and other great shows Follow us on Twitter at GoForItGang, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. For everybody here, go for it.
We hope you have a great weekend. See you later. Take care.